Welcome. I'm so glad to see you all tonight. Thank you for braving the rain. I saw a group of you come in the end, and it was just like they were pure drenched. So praise the Lord. And of course, it's done now, so that's thank you, Lord, but perfect timing. Kyle family, it's so good to be together again for one of the last times of the semester. We've only got a few left after this, so that's pretty mind-blowing. But for those of you that haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I serve as our Chi Alpha director. I'd love to meet you after service, and I think it's awesome that you decided to join us tonight. So again, thank you. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a series entitled Meet Me in the Marketplace, where we have looked at our calling to go to the world around us and to bring Jesus with us. See, most of us are called to just work a normal job and live a normal life, but to do so for the glory of God. In the marketplace, when I say that, I mean any career outside of like being a pastor. So there's like ministry or marketplace. You're supposed to call the minister and bring the gospel wherever you go. But when I'm referring to marketplace, I'm referring to like the 99% of you who are going to work a job that's not like it's a pastor. And we are called to be missionaries to the marketplace. It means we are sent there on a mission for Jesus. We're to use our jobs not just to gain like prestige or wealth, but we're to use our careers to make a difference for the kingdom of God. So in the beginning, God created the universe, right? And when it was first created, the universe was empty and void. So God decided to fill it. God goes on to create lights, water, plants, stars, creatures. And then on the sixth day, God creates man. It says this in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there is evening and there is morning the sixth day. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, for showing up tonight, God. And thank you that you give us an opportunity to gather here on campus. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. So why do people go to college? Some go to college because they just feel like it's the right thing to do. It's what their parents told them they're supposed to do. Some people go to college because they want to get out of their small town. Some because they just want to have a good time and make decisions that they probably will regret later. Except most people go to college for one specific reason. They like want to get a job when they're done. See, some of you are in college, and you have this career path that you have been zeroed in on since you were like three years old. You were in preschool, like, I'm going to be a teacher, and I'm going to teach so well. And you've been chasing that dream. So maybe you've known that you've wanted to teach or be a dentist or be in business, and you're here with a one-track mind. That's the minority of students at UNI. So let's get to the majority of our Panthers. Others of you came to UNI not because you have a specific dream, but actually because you have no clue what you want to do. So you went on this journey of choosing college, and eventually you picked UNI, because it was cheap, and it was small, and it felt like home, or you came here wanting to teach, and then you got in the first classroom, and you're like, I do not want to do that anymore. So you might not be sure of what the Lord is calling you. Since coming to college, you've been asked probably thousands of times, like, what's your major? What do you want to do with your life? And if you're honest, maybe you don't really know. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, those of you who don't have a clear direction for your future, kind of wish you did. See, we all have this deep longing to know why we are created. We want clarity for our futures, and this leads us to get hung up on this word, calling. We want to find out what we're supposed to do with our lives. Last week, I told you you can do anything as long as you do it for the glory of God. And I know if I was in your shoes, I would have heard that, and I would have said, awesome, thank you, Derek. That's good news. But like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, what's my calling? Like, what am I going to do? I know I'm supposed to bring the glory of God, but what does that actually mean? Because, you know, like, we were designed with a purpose, and we just want to know what is it? Why are we here? 
So before we dive into our individual purposes, though, I do want to look at humanity as a whole. So I'm going to zoom out, and then throughout the talk tonight, I'm going to zoom in. So the first question we need to ask ourselves is, why were we created? As in, why were we as humans created? In the creation story, God answers this question. It starts with the reality that we were all created in the image of God. This is also referred to as the Imago Dei. It says in Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We were created in this Imago Dei. Imago Dei is this theological or like biblical or God-like term that means we were created in the likeness of God. And it actually comes from this idea that we were created like as an idol or a statue of God. See, in the ancient culture, they would create statues of their gods and worship them. And we were created as like a statue to represent God. So when God made us, he put a part of himself inside of us so we could be like him. Something that's beautiful about that is all people were created in this Imago Dei or the image of God. That means every person has intrinsic value. Everyone is an image bearer of God and should be treated as such. What does that practically mean? It means we should love everyone, no matter if they're different from us, they make us uncomfortable, they have different political opinions than us, they grew up somewhere different. They have a little piece of the image of God in them, so no matter what decisions they make, they should be loved by us, specifically as people who love Jesus. But we'll keep going. We don't want to get bogged down in that. So as image bearers, we are to be like God. So what did God do? Specifically, what did God do this first week? He worked. He created. God didn't just like sit there. He made something. So what this means is to be human, to be in the image of God, means to work. This is why we so desperately want to know what our work should be. Because it's woven in the fabric of our being to have this desire to find a purpose and do something with our lives. This is why when we first meet someone, we usually are like, hi, I'm Derek. What's your name? They say their name. And I'm like, in our context, the college campus, like, what major do you have? Or if you're in, like, the adult world, they say, what do you do for a living? That's usually how we start conversations. Imagine if your first interaction with someone was like, hi, I'm Derek. What did you watch on Netflix last night? Like, that would be slightly uncomfortable, right? That'd make me feel kind of weird. That's a personal question. I don't want to tell you about Love is Blind. Just kidding. I don't watch Love is Blind anymore. If you've seen that show, it's really naughty. Don't watch it. Anyways, the reason we ask this question when we first meet someone is because what we do is central to our identity and to our being. John Mark Comer says what we do is central to our humanness. To be human is to work. So like it or not, your work is going to be central to who you are. Genesis 1.26 says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, the livestock, over the whole earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We are made to have dominion. Different translations of the Bible, instead of using this word dominion, they say we were made to rule. We were created to rule. God created Adam and Eve, and he places them in a garden, and he says, okay, work the garden. They were made to have dominion over this garden, over these animals. God created the world and then created humans and said, okay, you are in charge of this place. Here's the sandbox. Go build something. Rule. God could have created a couch and a TV and Netflix and placed Adam and Eve there and said, all right, relax. You were created to just chill out and have a good time. He could have done that, but he chose not to. He chose to, even in the beautiful serenity of a garden, they're not just chilling out. They're called to work. This term dominion or rule that we read in the English is actually translated, as you may have learned by now, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, and this word is translated from the Hebrew word radah. 
One Hebrew scholar tells us that this term rada, the way we can translate it, is we were made to actively partner with God to take the world somewhere. We are made to actively partner with God to take the world somewhere. We get to partner with God to rule his creation. That's a beautiful calling that's central to all of us. All of us have this same calling to make something of the world, to rule the world and make it a better place. We often say in American culture that we just work to live, right? You've heard that before. But that's just not reality. Reality is we are called to live to work. Work is central to what we do. So why were we created? We were created to garden. Just like Adam and Eve gardened, we were created to garden. So as we can see now, our common calling as a human is we are to garden. So let's zero in a little bit. Why were we specifically created? So we move from why were we created to why was I created? So we've established we're all to garden, we're all to rule, but the beauty is we all get this opportunity to uniquely fulfill this calling. You have a unique purpose in your life that is unique to you, and that's where this personal calling comes into place. So this goes into why we try to find a personal vocation. Vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio, which if you translate that, that really gets this idea of calling. So all this to wrap up, we were all created to garden, and then individually, we have individual ways that we get to fulfill this calling of gardening. So we need to ask ourselves then, what specifically was I created to do? How am I hardwired by God? I want to say something before we jump into that question, though. I think sometimes we get too hung up on this idea of our calling. Throughout the scriptures, we don't see a lot of times where God, like, speaks to someone specifically and says, you need to go do this exactly, and that's all you're going to do for the rest of your life. That's not usually what happens. A lot of times, people just did what made sense and was honoring to God. Here's an example. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he planted a ton of churches, the greatest missionary to ever live. Usually, it didn't look like God saying, all right, you should go plant a church in Corinth now. No. The reason he planted a church in Corinth was not because God specifically told him to, but it's because Corinth was a major trading city, and it was a port city, and a lot of people were there. So it was strategic to plant there. It's not like God said, you must go do it. No, it just made sense. So Paul said, okay, there's a lot of people there, and I'd have access to a lot of people. Let's do that. We'll plant our church there. It wasn't like he had this specific calling. I think sometimes we think that we need to hear like a, from the thunder and lightning of outside, God telling us, you are created to do this. That's probably not going to happen. All we need to do is just obey the commands of God. Do what makes sense. An example of this in your own life is all of you are in college And I can promise you that one commandment of being a human is you're called to show the love of Jesus. And the context you live in is the context of college students. God's not going to audibly tell you that you are called to love and disciple college students because it's obvious. He doesn't need to repeat to you what he already said. He's already told you that all of the scripture, you're called to love people and you're called to disciple people and you live around college students. So you're called to love and disciple college students. You don't need to hear the audible voice of God. It's like you don't need to hear the audible voice of God. You shouldn't steal today. Like that's, you don't need to hear that. That's obvious, right? If that's how we lived our lives, I would have a lot more PlayStations. But anyways, we don't need to jump into that. <laughs> you are obviously called to love the people around you. You are obviously called to sacrifice self and die to self and live to Jesus. God's not going to shout across the mountain something that is super clear throughout Scripture. I think sometimes like I'm not going to do it unless God specifically tells me to. Well, then that could get you in a lot of trouble and you'll be laying on a lot of rocks doing nothing. 
because God's not going to usually audibly tell you to do something. No, just obey God. If you don't know what to do next, look to the Bible and just do what it says. So there are some things that we are obviously called to do. These are the commands of Jesus. They're obvious. He doesn't need to retell you. He already told you once. But what about when we don't know, though? Because not all the time it's obvious what we're supposed to do. The Bible was written by humans a long time ago, so sometimes like, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do with this. Specifically, I think this is, comes up when we dream about our futures, right? Because the Bible doesn't tell you what job to have or where to live or any of those things. So in order to figure these things out, to figure out how we alone can contribute to the world around us, we need to find out who we are. Because what we do flows from who we are. So here's the first question I want you to ask yourself. Who are you? I know it's kind of a broad question. You can probably take a little bit answering it. You don't need to audibly answer, even though that'd be kind of fun if we all went around and said who we are. But we won't do that tonight. We live in a society, specifically in this Western world, where we are told we can be whoever we want to be, right? That with enough effort and willpower, you can accomplish whatever you want and you can become any person you want to be. The problem with that statement is it is absolutely false. I cannot be whoever I want to be. I'm Derek. I can only be Derek Quimby. I don't get to be Lelou, Alan. That would be weird if I woke up as Lelou one day. I can only be Derek. And you, unfortunately, maybe if you feel this way, you can only be you. You don't get to become somebody else. You're in your body with your personality. You are you. So your job is not to try and become somebody you're not. No, your job is just to discover who you actually are. There are so many people in our world who are unhappy, they're unfulfilled, and they're very, very tired. This stems from us trying to be somebody we're not. We were created to represent this image of God, the Imago Dei, that is already inside of us. And as people try to live in someone else's skin and then continually fail, of course they get burnt out. It is exhausting trying to be somebody you're not. John Mark Homer says, if we fight the image of God in us, even if we succeed in the short run, it will come back to eat us alive. For example, if you're like me and you hate being outside and you hate manual labor and then decide to go into construction, you probably won't be too happy. I would hate being a construction worker. I like when things are built for me, but I, I'm not, I don't want to build it, right? That's not the way God designed me. Sorry, Jeff. Jordan Meyer's like, what the heck? I'm a construction major. I thought we were brothers. Anyways, we'll keep going. Or let's say you're extremely extroverted and you just love being around people. And then you take a job where you sit behind a computer like, hello, I'm just typing all day. You're probably not going to be happy. That's probably not going to work because that's not the way God designed you to be. You'll be sucked dry from not living into your own purpose. Yes, sometimes we need to die to self and overcome our preferences. But when it comes to a lifelong calling, there's some validity in doing what makes sense with how God created you. Again, that's not an excuse to just not do anything hard. It's like, God didn't create me that way, so I'm not going to be nice to people. God created me as a jerk. No, that's not what it is. But if, like, God didn't create you to work outside like me, then don't work outside. That's going against the design of God. The Imago Dei in Derek does not have to do with manual labor outside in the hot. No, air conditioning was created with a purpose and on purpose. And Jesus, thank you, God, for air conditioning. Anyways. <laughs> So we need to try to discover who we are, discover our calling. And there's a few questions we can ask ourselves of this. First one, what do you love? What do you love? What drives you? What gets you up in the morning? What keeps you up at night thinking and dreaming? We're blessed enough to live in a world and a society where we can chase our dreams. That's not true of the whole world, and that's a whole separate conversation we could get into. But we don't live in the global south where our only goal of working is just to survive. We have ample food, resources. We have the opportunity to chase our dreams, so why not try? If there's something you love, ask yourself, can you make a career out of it? 
If you can, don't be scared to chase that dream. Ask yourself, if you could do anything, what would it be? Let yourself dream that dream. Obviously, most of the time, those answers might not be something you can make a career out of. And that's okay. It's not like it's wrong if you're like, I really want to be a rock star, but you just can't be. That's okay. But why not try, right? Why not dream? Find a way. And then if it doesn't work out, like let's say you're something you really have a burden for, just can't become a career, maybe find a way to find the thing that you love, like work into your career, maybe just in a different way. So for example, let's say you love music, going with that example. You might not be able to become a touring artist, but you could learn to teach music and then volunteer in your church worship team. So you're living out your calling, but just in a different way. So after you ask yourself what you love, ask yourself this next question. These are some practical things, by the way. Very practical tonight. Next question, what are you good at or bad at? That second question is very, very important. We'll get there. See, God designed us in a specific way with specific giftings and weaknesses. Too often we live in a world where we try to mask our weaknesses. We think if I can just get better at all the things I stink at, then life will be good. Any leadership guru, any person who's like really highly accomplished, they will tell you the key to success is not to overcome your weaknesses. What they usually say is just forget about your weaknesses and get really, really good at your strengths. Hear me though, this does not include like if you get, you're really good at something sinful. Like I'm just really good at stealing stuff and I love doing it, so I'm gonna be a professional criminal. No, that is not from the Lord. That is bad. Throw that away. But if it's something that's God-honoring, then we can play into our strengths. Comer goes on to say, we need to learn to embrace our potential and our limitations because both of them are signposts pointing us forward into God's calling on our life. So a huge step in discovering our calling or what we were made to do is to be honest with ourselves about what we're good at and what we stink at. For example, growing up, I would have loved to play in the NBA. It would have been so much fun. But here's a problem. That's all I got. I can't jump any higher than that. That's it. It's like this big. You'd have to get like a microscope. microscope. Yeah, that's right, to see it. No matter how hard I work, I'm probably not going to the NBA. I think I would have to practice like 10 hours a day, every day from the time I was like five, to be able to make it on the bench of some D3 private Christian school. Like that's how much work it would take to not really make it in the big leagues, right? So I could put all my energy into doing something that probably wasn't going to work out, or I can find my strengths and then lean into those. For example, even though I wasn't great at sports, I was really, really good at speech in high school. Raise your hand if you were in speech. I just want to see where they're at. All right, that's good. That's good. Oh, me too. Yes. All right, let's be honest, though. I didn't think speech was super cool when I was in high school. Speech was full of all the weird kids. Look who just raised their hands, right? (laughs) Speech is full of all the weirdos. I was in it, so it's okay. I'm not judging you. The speech kids were the last ones to shower and the first ones to get up and get excited. Oh, I just got so many dirty looks. I'm just kidding. I love speech. See, at first I wanted to put all my effort in becoming a good football player because I thought that was cooler. And then I realized that's not going to get me anywhere in life. So I thought, what if I just lean into the speech thing and became the best person at improv, which is what I did in speech, that I could be? I ended up becoming like an all-state speech kid multiple years in a row, and now once a week, I get to give a speech. This is my literal job to do this. God gifted me in public speaking, and I absolutely love it. In high school, I had no clue what God was doing when I leaned into being the weird speech kid, but leaning into my strengths prepared me for what my lifelong calling is. I love teaching the Word, and now I get to do it all the time, so it's fun, and I don't get to play football except on some Saturdays when the weather gets nice and Jacob Enos organizes it, so someday we'll get there. Anyways, find out what your strengths and your limitations are. Be okay not being great at everything, 
but find one thing you're really good at and own it. Everyone here, you're all pretty young. So you might not know what you're good at yet. You might not know your strengths and limitations. That's okay. You have to experiment. That's the point of being young. Try new things and realize if you're not good at them or if you don't enjoy them, that's okay because now is the time to fail. Failure is so negative in our culture, but anyone who has any sort of leadership or growth sense will tell you that leadership is, or failure is awesome. Failure sucks, but it's awesome. Celebrate failure. Comer says, every time you fail, throw a party. You just took another step forward in learning what you're not called to do. I think too often we get paralyzed by failure, so we'll never try anything new. We never put ourselves out there, so we never realize our potential. If you want to accomplish greatness, you're going to have to fail a whole lot. Don't let the fear of failure keep you from becoming who God created you to be. See, my first time leading a Chi Alpha was not actually here at UNI. Most people don't know this because I like to hide this. But when I was 22, the Chi Alpha director at Upper Iowa University, a little bit farther north, he left the school and he asked me to take on that campus. I had zero desire to move to Fayette, Iowa, the smallest town on the planet. But I said, okay, I'll leave that campus, but I'll stay here in Cedar Falls. So I did two jobs at once. I was the associate pastor, like the number two here at UNI, and I led Chi Alpha at Upper Iowa. Our first service, when I was in charge, it was awesome. We had like 72 people there, which was definitely the largest service that school ever had. It's a really tiny school. And I successfully grew that Chi Alpha from 72 all the way down to 15 in my first year of leading it. <laughs> Come on, baby. I failed miserably. It was horrible. Worst year of my life. Definitely terrible. But I learned so much in that year. I was so humbled by God. I thought it was awesome. Like, I'm about to come in here and blow this sucker up. And then I literally blew it up in a bad way. So there you go. God humbled me. And I grew a lot. And it prepared me for the very next school year when I took over Chi Alpha here at UNI. Looking back, I was like, they probably should have picked someone better. My track record was terrible. I killed one Chi Alpha. They're like, let's give you a bigger one. That makes sense. See, here's the deal. I was the old pastor's little brother, so nepotism got me my job. Amen and amen. <laughs> Come on. Thank God for looking like my predecessor. <laughs> Anyways. But in my second stint of leading a Chi Alpha, we experienced remarkable growth that's continued to today. I like to think it's gone a little bit better this time. But if I would have let failure define me, I never would have tried again. I would have been terrified to start again. Failure is good for me, and we can't let it define us or keep us from trying. As we find out what we're good at and what we're bad at, we need to move from being inward-focused to outward-focused. So the next question to ask yourself is, what does your world need? What does the world around you need? When you look at your city, the campus, Iowa, the country, what's missing? What makes you think... That needs to change, or somebody needs to fix that. Maybe that somebody is you. When God was creating the universe, he found what was missing, and he would add to it. This was his job. So there was, it was too dark, so he added light. It was too dry, he added water. It was empty, he filled the earth, plants, animals, all that stuff. This Hebrew word for in the Old Testament when it says work is the Hebrew word avoda, I think is how you pronounce it. And it can also be translated to work, or it can be translated to worship or service. So our work is to be work, also worship. Like we worship God in the way we work. That's why you should try hard in everything you do. Like even if you, ha I know part-time jobs are the worst. I get it. I worked a lot of them because I would quit them angrily. And I know they stink. But you should give your best effort to it because you're worshiping God through your effort and through the way you work, even if the job stinks. So our work is not only worship though, it's also service. Mark 10, 45 says this, even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, he came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man, Jesus, also God, 
And remember, we were created in the image of God or like the image of Jesus, so we are to be like Jesus. And Jesus came to serve, so I think we're also called to serve. Our work should serve the world around us. If our work is all me-centered, if your job is just about you being happy and having a fat bank account without any regard to anyone else, it is not a holy calling. God is not calling you to exploit the people around you to make yourself happier. No, a holy calling from God, according to this old guy, Frederick Buchner, says the place that your calling is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's this intersection point between like what you love, what you're good at, and then what the world around you needs. This doesn't have to be some crazy calling, like the world needs me to end world hunger, so I'm going to do it single-handedly by playing that free rice game all day long. <laughs> and you remember that? You like type stuff, and then you get, okay, I just showed my age. Anyways, a couple people laughed. It's a gamer. If you type a lot, you give rice to children, I believe. Or maybe they steal it from themselves. Who knows? But anyways, we gotta, your calling doesn't have to be something crazy. You don't have to end world hunger or like world peace. See, the world needs a lot of things to keep spinning. Civilization needs someone to pick up garbage. We need farmers. We need bankers. We need people to build things. We need political leaders. We need teachers, business people. Any of those things can be good and honorable. Any of those things can be work that functions from the image of God. Any of those things can help you work the garden like you're called to. But you need to ask yourself, does your work make the world a better place? Does your work make the world around you more like the Garden of Eden? Would God smile at your vocation or your calling? But if your work is at the detriment of other people, if you're hurting the world around you, if you're manipulating other people for financial gain, if you're causing violence or destruction, anything that goes against this idea of what it looks like to restore the world to its Garden of Eden-like state is not a holy calling. So not only should you enjoy it and love it, but it should make the world around you and people better. But if your work is in sync with this kingdom of God vision that's preached by Jesus all throughout the New Testament, it could be your calling. A couple other quick practical questions to ask yourself. What are the open doors in your life? Are you getting opportunities to do what you think you're called to? Sometimes it just means if you're not getting these opportunities, that you just need to be patient or like knock harder. Sometimes. But sometimes if you're not getting any opportunities, it might be God saying you're on the wrong path. Which leads us to this next question. What are the people who know you saying? Do the people around you affirm this potential calling? If they do, that can be a sign from God that you're on the right track. However, if the people who love you don't see that calling over your life, God might be speaking to you through them that this isn't it. Sometimes we get so tunnel visioned or like one track minded that we become disillusioned with ourselves, the reality, like this is what I have to do with my life. I must give my life to this and we won't let anyone get in the way that we get so blind to what God might actually be speaking to us. A lot of times this looks like us not seeing our own weaknesses. Sometimes we need people who love us to say, that ain't it. Maybe you think you can sing like an angel and you feel called to lead worship. If everyone else thinks you're not a great singer, that might not be your calling. Because as much as you love your own voice, if no one else loves it, no one's going to listen. You cannot be the only person you lead in worship and call it a calling. That's just you having a good time. Please worship on your own, but if no one else is listening, it's not a calling. If, think about this. If only you would buy your album, that's not going to pay the bills, right? You can't keep buying your own albums. This isn't like iTunes, a $1.29 thing where you can keep going back in the old days. No. If no one else would buy the album, you might not be called to lead worship. And guess what? That's okay. It is perfectly okay to not be great at everything. Too often we think we have to be great at everything we want to be. No, it's okay to not be as good at things as we'd like. Sometimes we need people around us to give us a reality check. And even though it stinks, I know this stinks, we should thank them for it. Because they're saving us from a life of striving and unfulfillment and never reaching our God-given potential. Because we're pursuing something that God didn't design us to do. Because as we're pursuing something that maybe we're not very good at, we're missing out on the thing that we actually were made to do. 
So this person's actually helping us. And I know this seems so harsh in our culture, but I think it's actually loving. We have too many people that are trying to do what God did not design them to do, and they continually feel empty. God hardwired you for a reason. You have your personality and your temperament for a reason. God made you to do something. Let's go find what that is. We need to find the beauty in operating just in the way God designed us. Again, this isn't an excuse like you're like, I'm really introverted, so I don't need to talk to him about Jesus. No, 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 that's not what that means. But if you don't do what you were made to do, not only are you robbing yourself the life that you were made to live, you're also robbing the rest of us. We need you to be you. There is no other you. Only you can fulfill the calling of your life. So if you keep pursuing other things, we are missing out on the investment that you're supposed to make in the world around you. You were created to, well, be you. And God didn't screw up when he made you. God loves you and has a purpose for your life. And I know firsthand, though, how these hard conversations of trying to operate in what you're not called to do, how hard that can be. Growing up, I always loved music. And when I was in high school, I fell in love with this idea of leading worship, of doing what like Trey does up here. And then I graduated high school, and I went to North Central University to study worship leading. And then I transferred to UNI shortly after that. I got my first worship leading job at a church here in town, and it did not go great. But that was all right. It just kind of swept that under the rug. And eventually, I got to start leading worship for Chi Alpha, and it went well. But it kind of always felt like I was hitting a brick wall, like something was missing. And this is because as much as I love music, I don't have a naturally great singing voice. It doesn't come natural to me. I worked very hard at it, and it got a little bit better, but it was never to the level that I would need it to be for it to be my career. Luckily for me, and sometimes unluckily for me, I have a brother who's very willing to speak the truth to me. And he told me, he's like, I love you, but worship leading may not be it. It was not natural. It's not your strength. He's like, maybe God created you to do something different. And then when I was interning with Chi Alpha, I gave my first sermon to Chi Alpha, and I loved it. It was on worship, actually, so that's kind of funny. But I loved preaching. It felt natural. I loved studying the Bible. I loved doing this. And I thought, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this is my calling. And then shortly after that, I took over as the Chi Alpha director. And into that job, I got to preach more and lead Chi Alpha. And very shortly to my time of leading Chi Alpha, I was like, oh, this is it. This is what God made me to do. Now I get it. Thank you, Lord. And I love the job. I love getting to do what I do. I love leading worship, but this just feels different. It feels natural and right. And I'm so thankful that Daniel was willing to challenge me and push back on what I thought. Because if he didn't, I probably wouldn't be here today. So I love doing it. I hope it's going well. The campus needs people who are devoted to it, leading the charge. There was an open door, and the people around me told me it was going well. It checked all these boxes, and it's fun. There's never been anything. See, when I was... Younger, I thought there'd be nothing that could ever fulfill me like singing, leading worship. I thought that was it. That's the best it could ever be. But my vision was too small. See, we don't know what we don't know. So until you do new things and try new things, you don't know what that could be it. You might find something that you kind of like, so you're like, that's got to be it. But maybe it's, there's more for you. You just can't see it yet. So you got to try things. Again, don't be scared of failure. So maybe your heart is set on some calling that you really think you were designed to, be, designed to do. That could be from God. Awesome. But I encourage you, be open. Who knows what God wants to do in your life? But commit now to this idea. Commit that you are going to find your garden. What does this mean? It means you are called to find what you love. Find what you're good at. What people see in your life and what the world needs you. Find your garden. Find what you were made to do. We need you to find your garden and commit to gardening it. This goes beyond your future job, though. Part of this idea of gardening 
is like what you grow, right? That's practical. That's important. What you're exactly doing is an important part of gardening. But something else that's equally important is where your garden's at and who you're gardening with. This correlates to our calling. We believe wholeheartedly in this idea of community, that growth best happens in the context of authentic relationships. So as you look to your future and to this potential gardener calling, I think it could be beautiful if you found a group of people, probably a local church, that you commit to and say, these are my people, this is my tribe, I love them and I'm going to do my life with them. See, the best gardens, they have a great root system. There's something beautiful that can happen when people settle. They settle down, they let roots take place, and they develop this idea of staying power because they're not always moving around. And see, as I look around our country at the largest and most fruitful Chi Alphas, looking in my context, there's one commonality between all of them. The director or the leader of that Chi Alpha has usually been there for 20 or 30 years because there's something special that happens when you stay in the same place for a long time. As you stay in the same place, you gain authority and wisdom and you fall in greater love with the people around you. Hear me, there's nothing wrong or sinful about being transient or going to a lot of different places or moving all the time. That's not wrong. This is not a thus saith the Lord thing. Hear me, there's differences, right? This isn't thus saith the Lord. You must commit to one garden or you're gonna not enjoy your eternity. That's not this. This is not an issue of right or wrong, but rather this is just an observation. My observation is that the greatest fruit comes from those who have deep roots and who stay somewhere for a while. Because the longer you work the same garden, the better you get at it because you know how that climate works. You know how that field works. You know how those plants work. Just like if you commit to a place and commit to doing life with this same group of people and kind of put your roots down after you graduate from here, you'll probably start to bear some fruit. You'll get better at your calling. Your community will become deeper. They'll have better relations with each other because time does a lot of good things. So again, that's not thus say it the Lord, like you have to do it, but it's just my observation that the people who stay and are committed to a place, even though it's not like as, maybe as fun, I notice that they seem to make huge impacts for the kingdom of God. So you can take that or leave it. That's just a little bit extra stuff. So you need to find your garden, find what you're called to do, and I encourage you to find your home, find your people, and then find what you were made to do, and find who you should do it with. So what does this all practically look like, though? How do we find our garden? How do we find our calling? It starts with going through those questions that I started with. What do you love? What are you good at? What does the world need? Ask yourself those questions. What were you made to do? Is there something that burns inside of you that you just feel like you have to do? For me, it's preaching the Bible. It just feels like I have to do it. Granted, I would like to think that, I, or I think I'm in the minority here. I don't think most people have this thing that's like burning in them. They have to do it. And if not, that's okay. I'm the weird one. It's okay to not have this thing burning. But if you do have something that you feel like you have to do and it's honoring to God, go do that thing. But if you don't, that's okay. So as you look to the marketplace, you should try to see what you're called to and go through these questions and put these calling to the test. Maybe just for a season that you're going to have this vocation, then you'll switch later. That's okay. And maybe as you examine the future, your calling or why you're created will directly line up with your future job. Or maybe your job will actually just enable your calling, but it won't be your calling. They don't have to be synonymous. See, maybe you'll just work like a normal job that pays the bills, but you'll find your fulfillment and calling and your gardening through other things. Because gardening, your purpose is not just your nine-to-five job. Gardening is your whole life. When I say this idea of work, and when they talk about it in the Old Testament, they didn't have like hobbies. They just always worked. This idea of work basically means when you're not sleeping and when you're not like doing spiritual things like spending time with the Lord, 
Anything outside of that, it's all work. So even if you're at a job, getting paid or not, you're still working. So it's your whole life. It's your hobbies. It's what you do in community. All those things are your work. So everything else in life is us having dominion and ruling. So maybe you feel a deep call to help youth students be discipled and fall in love with Jesus, but you don't feel called to be a youth pastor because you would actually like a salary. I get it. <laughs> Noah's like, thanks, buddy. He's our youth leader at church. You'll get a salary. It'll be good. But let's say you don't feel called to go into that and be a youth pastor. I get it. Money's good. It's fun to be able to buy what you want. That's okay. So maybe you'll work a normal job, but maybe like you'll work in the schools and be a teacher or be like a para. So then you can meet students and show them the love of Jesus. Or maybe you'll work a job that has really good hours, so then you can spend a lot of time with students outside of work. Pick a career that's flexible enough to fit with the calling. Or maybe you feel this call to help missionaries, like you want to reach the world, but you don't like traveling outside of Iowa, so you don't feel like you're called to go. That's okay. Get a job, make a ton of money, and pay for people to go. Provide for missionaries to go. Be super generous. Live out your calling through that. Or maybe you just feel called to be a great parent and to disciple your family well. That's an awesome calling. Get a job that's flexible so you have time at home. If you feel like your greatest calling is to be a parent, don't work 80 hours a week. That just doesn't make sense. Find a way to enable your calling. For example, my wife Taylor, she loves children, but she also feels a deep burden for Chi Alpha. So she decided to become an elementary and then middle school teacher, so she gets to do it all. She gets to show the love of Jesus to children in the school system every day. And teaching also has really normal hours. So her evenings and weekends and whole summers, she's pretty free to hang out with Chi Alpha students. That's why she's at every Chi Alpha thing, because her job lines up with it. She doesn't have a job where she's going at 9 o'clock at night on random days. No, her job lines up with her also being called to Chi Alpha. She also has a steady income that helps us pay the bills, helps me get to live out my calling of being a full-time pastor to you. See, her job isn't necessarily her entire calling, but it helps her fulfill her calling. Her job is just a part of what she's designed to do. It's not everything, and that's beautiful. Your story can be the same. So as you look to the future, your job doesn't have to be your entire calling. It might just play a part in what you're designed to do. What I think is your job should either be your calling or provide for your calling. That doesn't just mean financially. Maybe it means it provides enough time for you to live it out. Maybe it puts you in the right environments, like, for example, being with students. Or somehow, some way, it helps you live out your calling. So it should either be your calling. For me, it's my full-time job. For Taylor, it provides for her calling. Cool? So whether this is here on campus or if it's in the marketplace, no matter what you're doing in life, I encourage you to find your garden. And when you find your garden you'll find delight. See, after God looked back at his creation in the beginning of our story we read this earlier tonight, he looked back and he said something remarkable. In Genesis 1.31, it says this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God looked at the work that he did, and it was good. He took delight in his creation. He had delight in his work. And that is our ultimate goal. The goal is that you will find delight in what you've done with your life. That you'll be able to look back with what you've created and you'll be able to say, that is very good. And after God says this, he rests. So if we live into our callings, if we be the person God designed us to be, making sure to be discipled to his image and to do things Jesus asked of us, but then living out the way we were designed to live, we will find delight in our lives. We will enjoy what we've created and we'll find rest. If you want to not strive your whole life, to, then don't try to be somebody you're not. Be who you are and do it to the best way you can for the glory of God.
This is a really bad image of this, but roll with me for a second. I like to think of this like the end of, or the beginning of Avengers Endgame when Thanos is sitting and he's looking at his creation. I mean, his, his work was destroying half the population, so like, don't do that. But he was looking out of his garden, and he felt so happy with himself. Again, really bad analogy, but we're just rolling with it because it's what I keep picturing when I think of garden. Is that he looked back at what he did with his life, and he said it was good. Terrible for everyone else, but good to him. See, when you look back at your life, when you look back at the garden of what you've created, you want to be able to say it was very good that you found delight in what you're doing, that you weren't constantly trying to just force things, but you find delight and you can say, it was very good. You want to look back at your life and say, you were the person God created you to be. You became more like Jesus every single day. You did life with the people you love and you made an impact for the kingdom of God because your life was about more than yourself. The main idea tonight is when you find your garden, which is what you were made to do and who you are made to do it with, when you find your garden, you will find delight. When you find your garden, you will find delight. When we think of a garden, we think of something beautiful usually, right? However, gardens can get kind of messy. See, in gardens, there's weeds, thorns, dead plants. Gardening can be a dirty job. So we're called to find our garden. So let's look at our example. What was Jesus' garden? Jesus' garden or purpose, it was us. He was called to us. However, the garden of our lives has a lot of weeds in it. Sometimes we make our lives a little messy, right? We make mistakes. We do things we wish we wouldn't have. The garden of our lives can have some death because we choose things against the creation of God. And so our gardens had to be cleaned up. And Jesus made it his calling to make our gardens clean and beautiful. And he did this through what we're celebrating this weekend. In case you don't know, this is Easter weekend. And the Easter story of the God of the universe sending his son Jesus to come and live a perfect life, of this Jesus brutally being murdered on a cross on Good Friday, dying on a cross to pay for our sins, the fact that Jesus saw us and saw that you and I would make a lot of mistakes. Jesus saw every way you were going to mess up your garden Jesus saw every way you'd run from him, the way you'd spit in his face and choose the world over him. And those decisions should make our gardens uninhabitable. We shouldn't even be able to have life in our garden at all. But the story of this weekend is Jesus loved you so much that he died on a cross to take away all the death from your garden to make it beautiful again. And then the best part is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday when Jesus rose again and he defeated the things that tore up our garden. He defeated the things that made us messy so we don't have to pursue those things again. He defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave through rising again. And now we are set free. And now our guards can be made into something beautiful. Now we get to have life with Jesus. When Jesus looks back at his work, when Jesus looks at our lives, did you know Jesus takes delight in that? See, I think often we think that Jesus looks back at us with contempt or like he's mad at us, that he had to die for us. We think Jesus is angry. Why'd you keep screwing up? I guess I'll die for you if I have to. No, when Jesus looks at his life, which was giving his life for your life, he finds delight because he loves you dearly. Jesus is not mad at you. Jesus loves you so much. Jesus delights in you. Jesus not only loves you, he likes you. Jesus finds delight in your life 
the messy, sin-filled, death-infested life you created, Jesus finds delight in cleaning it up. He enjoys doing it because he loves you so much. And now we get this opportunity to use the rest of our lives, to use our gardening project, not as a way to get personal gain, but to live for his glory and to make his world beautiful again. So if we will choose to go to the university, the marketplace in the world, and find our garden, find the calling over our lives, and commit to doing it for the glory of God, our lives will make this beautiful garden when we're done. And we'll change the world simply by being who God designed us to be, and then pointing everyone back to Jesus. This is how we change the world. We just simply garden. We live our lives with one pursuit, the glory of God. And as we do this, not only will we transform the marketplace through meeting other people, this idea of meet me in the marketplace, part of it is like getting other people to meet you in the marketplace. That's where you're supposed to be a missionary to. But also as we do this, the real person we're going to meet in the marketplace is King Jesus. And he'll meet you right where you're at and help you every step of the way to change your work, change your family, to change your world simply through you being obedient and taking up this gardening project. Would you all stand with me? So if you're here tonight, and when you think about the garden of your life, you just see a lot of mess, and you see a lot of dead things, you see a lot of mistakes you've made, and you want Jesus to clean it up, I want to give you an opportunity to invite him into your garden. See, the beautiful thing about Jesus is he's not going to like break down the fence and force his way into your life. That's not the way he operates. But if you open the gate and invite him in, he will run there so fast. So I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life tonight. So if you're here and you've kind of made a mess of things, but you want hope through Jesus and you want him to forgive you of your sins, what I'll do is I'll count to three. And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an outward sign to God that you're inviting him into your life. So if that's you, I want to make Jesus your Lord. On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for cleaning up our mess. Jesus, thank you for what we're going to celebrate this weekend. Jesus, I pray that Easter story will not just be something we go through the motions on this weekend, but instead that this Friday night and this Sunday morning, we will really remember what you've done, God, that we will not be a people who take the cross for granted, God, but we'll see the beauty of the cross and your sacrifice. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. So now, what I would like us to do is we're going to sing one more song. And I want you to process through some of these questions, yes, but I want you to be, when you think of your calling in your future, what I want you to do over this next song is I'd like you to lay that calling like on the altar before God. What that means is an altar is a place where you'd sacrifice things in the Old Testament. They would sacrifice animals on there as a way to give it to God. So I want you to see your future and to really place it before God and say, whatever you want, God, you do with it what you want. So there's no outward way to really do this. What you could do is you can come up to the altar and kneel. This is kind of an, our makeshift altar. You could spread out. You could kneel at your seat. You could just lay your hands like this, whatever you want to do. But do something to practically say, Jesus, my life is yours. Whatever you want me to do with it, whatever you want my garden to be, it's up to you. So we'll sing one more song, and that's what I'd like you to do is give that thing in your life. Maybe there's something you've been holding back from God. Give it to him and give him control and let him make your life into a beautiful garden. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and for everything that you've done 
on the cross. And Jesus, I pray that our lives, our gardening project, will not be for our personal gain or even personal like happiness, God, but instead it will all be for your glory. We love you so much, Jesus.